Welcome to the Dream Factory. A warm, cozy, and extremely lovely place where only the most visceral nightmares and pleasure-driven musings of its residents are mercilessly extracted and sold for the pure enjoyment of others. The Dream Factory, a new novel by Mark Marcus. Now available on your Apple device, Kindle, and on Amazon.com. Go to CandleshorePublishing.com forward slash Dream Factory. Last November 19th, Virginia State Senator Cree Deeds was slashed and stabbed repeatedly by his own son. Gus Deeds was 24 years old and had been struggling with mental illness. He and his father had been in an emergency room just hours before the attack, but they didn't get the help that they needed. The story of what went wrong with his medical care exposes a problem in the way that America handles mental health. It's a failure that came to the fore with the murders at Sandy Hook Elementary School. The vast majority of mental patients are not violent, but this is a story about the fraction who are a danger to themselves or others. As we first reported in January, parents of mentally ill children in crisis often find, as Senator Deeds did, that they have nowhere to go. Cree Deeds bears the scars of this failure on his face, his body, and his soul. I really don't want Gus to be defined by his illness. I don't want Gus to be defined by what happened on the 19th. Gus was a, was a great kid. He was a his perfect son. Um, you know, it, it's clear the system failed. It's clear that, that, that failed Gus. It killed Gus. We met Cree Deeds four weeks after the attack. He was still distraught. But he told us his story was a warning that could not wait. What would have saved Gus? If he could have been hospitalized that night, they could have gotten him medicated, and we, I could have worked to get Gus in some sort of long-term care. This is Gus Deeds when he was 20 years old, a talented musician on the dean's list at the College of William and Mary. Gus, when he, when he turned 20, I was running for governor. He wanted to come, and, and so he took this fall of 2009 off to be with me. Um, and and that was some, those are some of the best memories of my life, is having him with me there. But after the campaign, for no reason anyone could see, Gus Deeds stopped taking care of himself and became paranoid, obsessive, antisocial. He dropped out and couldn't keep a job. In 2011, he was diagnosed as bipolar. His father was so worried that Gus would kill himself, Deeds told us he got rid of all of the guns in their rural farmhouse except one hunting rifle that had no ammunition. Later, with medication... Gus returned to William and Mary until last fall. Gus had posted weird things on his Facebook page about, um, you know, how the professors were ganging up against him. And um, he was going to start boycotting class. It was pretty clear to me that he wasn't taking medicine. I told Gus that he and I needed to talk to somebody um, together. That's when Deeds discovered that talking to somebody, getting treatment is harder in mental health than any other kind of medicine. In the decades after the 1960s, most large mental institutions were closed. It was thought that patients would get better treatment back in their communities. 
But adequate local facilities were never built. The number of beds available to psychiatric patients in America dropped from more than half a million to fewer than 100,000. That leaves many kids in crisis today with one option, the emergency room. You know, every day we have 10 to 20 kids with psychiatric problems come into our emergency department. Kids who want to kill themselves, who've tried to kill themselves, who've tried to kill somebody else. Brian Geyser is a nurse practitioner we met in the emergency department of Yale New Haven Hospital in Connecticut. It's one of the best in the nation in psychiatry. Well, we have 52 psychiatric beds here at Yale, and right now all 52 are full. And so the seven kids that are here in the emergency room are waiting uh, for an open bed. How long will they wait? Uh, Five of them have been here three days already. Most every day, the beds are full of patients in crisis. 17-year-old Tyler Ridington was waiting in the ER. He had just slashed his face with a knife. You hear voices? Yes. A new voice came about a year ago. And he, well, I call it a he, because it was more of a deeper voice, but he ended up telling me to hurt myself and making me find ways to hurt myself. Do the voices ever tell you to hurt someone else? Only once, and that was at school, and, they, and that was when I got admitted into the hospital, because I was actually considering hurting the people around me, and I was, I was like, this ain't me. This is not what I want to do. Tyler's dad, Ernie Ridington, had called a psychiatrist that week, but couldn't get an appointment for three months. There's a national shortage of psychiatrists. Why is there not another option for you? This has always been our only option. The emergency room. The emergency room, yeah. Because we know that when we come here... They take the time to take care of him. They sit and watch him. Make sure he's okay. But okay usually means okay for the moment. Typically, insurance companies pay for this care only as long as the patients are, quote, at imminent risk of harming themselves or others. Some insurance companies will give us a couple of days, a few days, before they ask us to call them back to get reauthorization for the admission. Some of them are every single day that we have to call. And so usually, you know, we're, we're talking about, you know, three to four days and the insurance companies are saying, all right, you know, it's time. Let's get this kid out. Because they're not going to kill themselves or someone else right now. Right now, yeah. Many patients need care for months or years, but there are few facilities of that kind. They're expensive, and often insurance won't cover them. So kids in crisis spin in the emergency room's revolving door. We need to be able to set up a system where we follow these kids into the community. We follow the families. We make sure that they have a safety net and somebody's watching them and monitoring them. Because, you know, it could be next month, it could be six months from now, and the child will do something again. But if they're not hooked into a system that's watching them, taking care of them, then we could have problems on our hands. How many of you have had to take your child to the emergency room? Everybody. And how many times? I can't count. I couldn't couldn't count. count. Seven Connecticut mothers, including Mary Jo Andrews, Meg Clancy, and Dee Orsi, told us about their ER crises and battles over insurance. My daughter, after spending, she was eight at the time, spending 12 days in the hospital, They told me she was ready to come home. 
By Friday morning, we were in the psychiatrist's office for her follow-up appointment. She was seeing blood dripping from the walls. There was statues telling her to kill me, and she was ready for discharge three days earlier. We had one with an insurance company. They wanted to discharge my daughter. She needed to stay where she was safe, and the insurance company would not pay for her to stay. And so I was told by our social worker in the hospital that if I gave my daughter up to Department of Children and Families, that then she would have insurance coverage through the state and she would be allowed to stay. Wait a minute. Give, give, give her up. Give her up to the state? Correct. Give her up to the state. And you said what? Absolutely not. They formed this support group because so few people understand their troubles. For example, they share the names of contractors to repair walls or remove doors. Their children punch holes in the drywall and can't be allowed to lock themselves in a room. What is the difference between being the mother of a child who has mental illness and the mother of a child who might have heart disease or cancer? Sympathy. Being in Connecticut, they watch the tragedy at Sandy Hook Elementary with more insight than most. Referring to the killer's mother, one of them told us, if Nancy Lanza had a health care plan for her son, she couldn't have made it work. There's really no place after the hospital. So the kids end up coming back home, right where the situation started. And, you know, the psychiatrists in the hospital will say, you're right, the, the system's broken. And I, I remember at one discharge, I refused to sign the discharge paper because I wasn't going to agree that it was appropriate. They discharged your child anyway. Oh, yes. Oh, yeah. yes. That is essentially what happened to Cree Deeds in Virginia last November. But his effort was further complicated by the fact that his son, Gus, was an adult, over 18, and Gus didn't want treatment. Deeds had to get a court order and sheriff's deputies to take Gus to the ER. A state law designed to protect patients' rights meant that the court order would expire in only six hours. That's all they had to find a hospital that would admit him. Whole afternoon, Gus didn't sit down. He paced the floor, he'd look at me, he'd smile. And I just had this sinking feeling that he wasn't going to be hospitalized. And if you didn't find a hospital bed in six hours... Gus was coming home. He was coming home. And, 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 and I was concerned that if he came home, there was, there was going to be a crisis. A representative of the county agency that manages mental health care told Deeds that he couldn't find a hospital with a psychiatric bed appropriate for Gus's case. You're concerned that your son is suicidal. The I, clock I, has run out on the emergency room and he comes in and says, sorry, you've got to well, leave? Well, th- he said that Gus wasn't suicidal. I guess he'd made Based that evaluation. Based on his evaluation. His evaluation that Gus wasn't suicidal. What did you say to him in, in, I, I, in leaving the emergency I, 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 room? I, I said, the system failed my son tonight. There was no place to go but home. And he sat at one end of the dining room table. I sat at the other end. I ate my food, and he just was writing furiously in this journal he kept. Not much conversation. And I, I said, good night, bud. I didn't know what was going to happen. Um, But the next morning, you know, I I felt like there'd be a confrontation, but I didn't, I had no reason to think there'd be violence. And, but, but 
you know, I, I, I got ready for work and I went out to the barn to feed the horses. And um, Gus was coming across the yard and he was, I said, hey, bud, how'd you sleep? He said, fine. I turned my back and, you know, I turned my back, had this feed thing in my hands and, and he was um, just on me. He attacked you. He, he, he got me twice, you know, stabbed me twice. With a knife. The state police told me they found a knife. And I, I turned around and said, Bud, what's going on? I said, and he just kept coming at me. I said, Gus, I love you so much. I said, don't make this any worse than it is. He just kept coming at me. And he just kept, I mean, you know, I, 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 was, I, was, I was bleeding a good bit. But, you know, he turned around and he started walking toward the house. Deeds staggered away. A neighbor found him. A helicopter ambulance was called. Well, that was in the rescue squad or the helicopter somewhere. I'd heard about some, you know, some call came over the scanner that there'd been somebody with a gunshot wound to the head. The gunshot victim was Gus. Oh, yeah. Gus had killed himself. He had found or bought ammunition for that last rifle, the unloaded rifle that Deeds had kept in the house. You were describing the last night in which he was writing feverishly in this notebook before you said goodnight. Did you go back and look at that? I did. What was he writing? He had determined that I I had to die, that I was an evil man, um, that he was going to execute me, and then he was going to go straight to heaven. You've told us in this interview again and again that you don't want Gus to be defined by what happened in those few seconds. Right. I want people to remember the the brilliant, friendly, um, loving kid that was Gus Deeds. We'll use Gus, I hope, to address mental health and to make sure that other people don't have to suffer through this. Cree Deeds returned to the state Senate last January with four new pieces of legislation aimed at reforming mental health care in Virginia. Thanks to his work, state evaluators now have eight hours instead of six to find a bed in a mental health facility for a patient in crisis. There's now a real-time online registry of empty beds and a requirement that if time runs out, patients like Gus Deeds can be sent to a state hospital instead of being sent home.